We take a single episode of a science fiction TV series and overanalyze it to within an inch of its life. This is the Fusion Patrol Podcast. Welcome to the discussion. Hello and welcome to another episode of Fusion Patrol. I'm Eugene. And I'm Simon. And tonight we're looking at the Nigel Neal classic TV serial, Quatermass 2. A radar post observes the arrival of yet another meteor under orders for secrecy. Captain Dillon goes to investigate. The meteorite, broken, is found in a field where a stunned farmer sits. His wife, in a panic, frantically worrying about her husband. Dillon and his men are under orders to do nothing about the meteors. But it's damned curious, and he decides to disobey orders. He knows a guy that might make sense of it. Meanwhile, Professor Bernard Quatermass has just suffered a major failure in his professional life. His new nuclear-powered exploratory rocket model, the Quatermass 2, has gone off like a nuclear bomb in Australia. Oops. It's a good thing nobody lives in Australia. His backup ship in Britain has just been checked and it suffers from the same problem that caused the explosion. The design will have to be scrapped, and Britain's plans to expand the empire to the moon are now gone. It is to this dejected and beaten Quatermass that Dylan brings the meteor fragments. Quatermass and his team are intrigued. It's an odd shape, and indications are that it broke up after impact. Assembling the pieces, it's hollow. Dylan explains that there are lots of these, and that there was a big scare about them about a year ago after which the government ordered the whole thing top secret to avoid further panic. Quatermass and Dylan investigate. First the farmer, who isn't feeling well and very unfriendly and unhelpful. They then stop at a local pub and learn that the farmer isn't typically like that and weird things are going on ever since the government tore down an entire village and built their top secret research facility at Winterton Flats. Quatermass and Dylan investigate and, ignoring the keep out signs, enter the facility grounds. A meteor comes down, intact. Dylan reaches it first and it cracks open. For a moment, Quatermass thinks he sees something on Dylan's face. Guards arrive, force Quatermass to leave, and take Dylan for medical care. Dylan tells Quatermass to leave him alone and go. Quatermass meets a tramp hiding in the wreckage of the village that was torn down. He tells him about the goings-on and the new prefab town that was built for the workers. They're not very friendly, not like the village that was torn down. On the ground, there are thousands of meteor fragments. In Prefab Town, Quatermass is given a cold shoulder. The facility pays them well and asks silence in return. They don't even have local police. It's handled by the security from the base. Quatermass encounters a young girl who's acting strangely and discovers she has a strange mark on her hand where she touched one of the meteors when it came down. He has run off before he can learn more. Back at the rocket base, Quatermass's team have reconstructed the meteor and it appears to be a small ballistic vessel of some kind. In London, Quatermass first tries to enlist the police to help him find out what happened to Dylan, but they are under orders to leave the research facility at Winterton Flats alone, by orders of Quatermass's own ministry. Next, he goes to the ministry, and his contact, Fowler, clearly has some reservations about the project, too. He introduces him to M.P. Broadhead, who is also on a tear about the Winterton Flats facility. The plant is supposedly producing a new synthetic food in a top-secret method to get a jump on other countries, but spy satellites have found at least two other identical facilities in Brazil and Siberia. 
He takes Quatermass to a hearing where all the other members are strangely zombie-like and do not care what Broadhead is saying. Then Quatermass notices the same mark on one of them. He tells Broadhead privately, and then he confronts the men with his reconstruction of the meteor ship. They are agitated, and he is evicted. Later, the conference room is empty, except for an insensate Broadhead, who now has the mark. Guards from Winterton Flats arrive and take him away, but not before telling Quatermass and Fowler that his investigation is over and everything is in order. Fowler then introduces Quatermass to Ward. Ward is in public relations, and he's been escorting top brass, politicos, and celebrities to Winterton Flat on a regular basis. Weird drill, though. He just drops them off and never brings them back. But they do find their way home somehow. Using Ward's pass, the three of them go to the plant. The plant appears to be near completion, and the non-infected workers have been given a few days off. Back at the rocket base, Dr. Leo Pugue is talking to Paula, Quatermass's daughter. Leo is a brilliant mathematician, the man that does the orbital calculations. He tells her all about how, in his childhood, his teachers used to make him perform mathematical tricks and tell him that he was destined for greatness. It is a rambling, non-sequitur speech that most certainly identifies Leo Pugue for a pivotal death later in this story. At Winterton Flats, Quatermass and the gang investigate without much resistance or interest from the zombie-like guards and workers. Quatermass recognizes a facility as being similar to their moon base design. The domes would be to use to recreate an alien atmosphere. Ward slips off to get into the dome. He succeeds, but is covered in the slime from the dome. Deadly to humans, and certainly not a revolutionary artificial foodstuff. At least not food for anything from Earth. Ward dies. Quatermass gets a sample of a slime and a device Ward handed him. They get away. The rocket team have realized that swarms of meteors on such a trajectory must be coming from somewhere astronomically nearby. Leo's math powers allow them to find the object, half a million miles out and approaching Earth. They calculate that it stays in a special orbital location, approaching and backing away from the Earth periodically. At its closest point, they release the meteors. The composition of the slime leads them to believe the invasion is from the outer planets, most likely a moon of Saturn and the device Ward recovered is a booby trap, much like the meteors containing an alien primed to take over a person. Knowing that people are infected and controlled up to very high levels of the government, and fearing that the final invasion to populate the completed dome is imminent, Fowler returns to the Ministry to do some secret digging. Quatermass contacts a journalist, Conrad, to break the story. Quatermass also has his team prepare the Quatermass 2 to fly to the alien asteroid, knowing that it is, effectively, a nuclear bomb. Just as Fowler has made an important discovery, he also discovers one of the booby traps and plays no more part in this story. Quatermass takes Conrad to the town, tells him the story, takes him to the local pub where the locals are celebrating. Quatermass tries to warn them about the danger, but they don't listen. Just then, a meteor smashes into the pub. Within moments, zombie guards arrive searching for the meteor. It is broken, and they leave without it. Now, hundreds of the meteors are falling, and the zombie guards are scouring the marsh, recovering them. Quatermass sends Conrad to break the story, while he must go see the dome. At the pub, Conrad tries to phone in the story with the locals listening. He tells his editor that he was infected when the meteor hit the pub, and he's fighting to get the story out before it's too late. The locals, overhearing the accusation, storm the facility. When the guards open fire on them, they take up arms and start fighting back. Looking into the dome, Quatermass sees what he feared. Inside, a writhing, growing, ammonoid creature. Quatermass beats up with the revolting workers who have taken the dome control building. Quatermass explains they can kill the things in the dome by pumping pure oxygen in, which they start to do. 
Increasingly desperate, the facility controllers offer a truce to take them over to the domes and show them. Some of the workers agree despite Quatermass's urgings to the contrary. When the oxygen soon stops flowing, they discover the workers killed and shoved into the pipeline to form a plug with their bodies. Enraged, the leader of the workers fires a captured bazooka at the dome, destroying it. Quatermass escapes because he had a gas mask and he finds Leo outside. Leo had come to find him, but was nearly killed when the deadly gas escaped from the domes. Back at the rocket base, preparations for launching the rocket have gone wrong. Dylan has returned with soldiers and taken control of the rocket silo. Quatermass, with Leo's help, seems to reach Dylan and convince him to let the launch go through. Quatermass and Leo take off for the alien asteroid. As they reach the asteroid, Quatermass confronts Leo. He suspects he was overtaken by the aliens outside the facility. While Quatermass preps the rocket to explode, Leo escapes outside with a gun. When Quatermass follows, Leo explains that they're going to use the rocket to carry even greater numbers of aliens back to Earth and will now kill Quatermass. When he fires, the recoil sends Leo hurtling into space. Quatermass, all the while listening to the sounds of Leo calling for help over the radio, returns to the rocket, launches the return capsule, and detonates the nuclear motor destroying the asteroid. Dylan and the others are now free of the control and back to normal. Quatermass has succeeded. Quatermass looks at Leo's empty chair, knowing that his friend, tumbling helplessly in space towards his death, is free of the aliens too. Listeners, before we start the discussion tonight, I'd like to make an appeal to you. Fusion Patrol is a labor of love, and it has been for the last decade. We have fun making the podcast, we have a unique collection of shows that we've discussed over the years, with many more to come. And we have a steady and growing audience of great listeners that we enjoy interacting with. And while we don't have tens of thousands of listeners, I consider the podcast to be a success. If I didn't, at least on an emotional artistic level, then we wouldn't still be doing this. There is one area where it is not and has never been an objective success. Financially. For the last decade, Fusion Patrol has operated in the red. My goal for 2019 is to get Fusion Patrol beyond the red line. It won't take much. Our operating expenses are not particularly onerous, but they are constant and ever-present. Now, I know that practically every podcast and YouTube channel that you subscribe to is probably already asking for your money through Patreon.com. But I want to put it to you that your money makes a bigger difference to the smaller creators. Only a small percentage of podcast listeners are going to support a podcast. That's just the basic economics of the model. Of course, that means that the more listeners you have, even a small percentage can start to add up. In the case of a smaller podcast like Fusion Patrol, we need to have at least a noticeable percentage of the listeners contributing to the cost. Right now, we have approximately one half of 1% of our listeners contribute through Patreon. Yeah, that's right. 0.005 of our listeners are patrons. If we could just get 10 more of you listeners... To contribute a dollar or more per episode, we would be well and truly beyond the red line. As a reminder, patrons do get a few extras, including early access to the podcast, special one-off podcasts that aren't released to the general public, and other events that we have planned for the future. Plus, of course, you also get episodes like this, but without me breaking in and asking for money. 
patreon.com slash fusion patrol. Please support us if you can. If you cannot support us financially, please consider spreading the word about the podcast, rating us, or writing a review on your podcast catalog service of choice. Thank you. And now, back to the discussion of the BBC classic, Quatermass 2. So, Quatermass 2, we previously talked about Quatermass 3, which some people at the BBC have said is the best and finest we've ever done. Um... And I, I don't, I'm going to ask you how you feel about it here in a second. Um, this came before it, obviously. Quatermass the Pit is Quatermass 3, I should say. Um, yes. Yeah. I quite like the fact that Quatermass 2, which, I mean, it's a bit like, it's, it's one of those kind of odd numbering schemes like Mission Impossible 3 being followed by Mission Impossible Ghost Protocol. But actually, Quater, the Quatermass experiment is about an experiment by Professor Quatermass. Quatermass and the Pit is about the pit that... Quatermass is called to uh, examine. Quatermass 2 is about a rocket called Quatermass 2. So it's not as totally <laughs> a, barking as it sounds. Yeah, I didn't. I don't like numbered names of movies um, or TV shows. I, no. I know why they no. do it. They do it because of name brand recognition. You've built up one name and then you don't want to yeah. lose that. Well, yes, the but marketing. You, you've got the name recognition in the Quatermass experiment. Right. So they want to they keep it. Uh, you know. Um, anyway, I, I had just assu- I had just assumed it was like a lack of imagination. I mean, I'm not saying it's the most imaginative title ever, but well, the fact that the rocket is the Quatermass Two, which is a kind of common naming scheme for rockets, not the hubris Quatermass. of the man to name it after himself. <laughs> yeah, I guess that's uh... <laughs> a, a bit much. But I, I guess what I was going to say is I kind of disagree. I think I like Quatermass 2 better than Quatermass in the Pit. And Quatermass in the Pit is amazing. Really? But I love this. I thought this was fantastic. Wow. I really wow. did. Um, I mean, yes, it's obviously a ripoff of Spearhead from Space and The Invisible <laughs> Enemy and all those shows that came out in the 70s. Um, that's <laughs> but it, you know, just like when we talked about Quatermass in the Pit, how the, the, the pieces... The episodes flow from one to the next, and the cliffhangers aren't forced, but they're good. The story just continues to unfold. It's so well-structured. It's so much better than the copies that have come after it. Um, and I don't mean Quatermass in the Pit now, but I'm talking about things like Spearhead from Space and, and, and all the alien invasions who take over the people and you don't know. I mean, it just it's just really, really well done. Uh, you know, <laughs> Nigel Neal deserves what he... Now, you're going to tell me you hated it, because I can just tell from the, the <laughs> shock reaction. But okay, go ahead. <laughs> I, I, got, I mean, I've got to agree with some of what you say, which is, the, it is it is incredibly well done. So the caveat is, you're watching a, a, a Nigel Neal Quatermass story. It, it's going to be, it's going to be quality. But the place where I'm going to disagree with you is that, it's better than Quatermass in the Pit. To me, this, I mean, Quatermass 2 is that kind of difficult second album thing. Mm. And I, I absolutely take your point. It's, you can, you can see how incredibly influential it is in terms of all of the elements in here that are copied, but they're not necessarily 
the things that I am particularly fond of. I mean, funnily enough, I mean, I get where you're saying spearhead from space, the you know, the farmer on almost an identical tractor, I guess. The um, whole the, the whole scene with the, the meteor tracking station, it's almost shot for shot copy. Yes, yes. I, At the yeah. beginning, I, I, like, I can I can see that, but it it's not necessarily what homage. Sorry, what, homage. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Well, it's not necessarily what was foremost in my mind. Um, maybe in episode one, although it just it kind of felt like a, a sort of second rate unit story. In fact, that that kind of continued as a as a through line. So I wouldn't have been. I I like Spearhead from Space. It's a it's a top notch unit story. So I'm thinking more along the lines of Terror of the Autons. But um, and maybe maybe it was only when Roger Delgado turned up that I started really thinking about unit. <laughs> but for example, in in Quatermass Two, certainly um, by the second episode, Neil has invented the Robo Men mm-hmm. from which yeah. is the first story with Robo Men. Uh, is it Dalek Invasion uh, of Earth? Dalek Invasion of Earth, yeah. Okay, uh, you know, the Robo-Men are not my all-time... But Dalek Invasion of Earth is actually quite a good story in as much as Dalek stories go. Neither you nor I are particularly fond of Daleks, but I think at least they're better than people wearing Alice bands talking in slightly monotonous voices. Um, okay, he hasn't put alice bands on but they are talking in slightly monotonous voices it is very obvious that they are supposed to be possessed and yeah and they're wearing the same kind of clothes practically yeah as they would be in a terry nation story yeah it it's it's better than the subsequent copies yes it's it's a it's a quality serial because it is you know it's 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 nigel neal and the you know rudolph cartier Yes, it's good, but that that doesn't mean it's that doesn't mean it's it's without its flaws. I think I think there are a lot of things there are a lot of things about this story that and and the production that ended up continuously irritating me. Okay, well let's let's talk about the production for a little bit because that's one of the things that I've really noticed. And I'm not saying it's better or worse. It's just that when I was watching it, it feels like there is 50, 60% of it shot on film in advance yes and i felt like there was about zero percent in in quater mess in the pit or very little um i the, the, i would agree i would agree i i can't remember how much was in in quater mass in the pit and you know one of the things that is inevitably going to kind of influence any judgment based on the actual production values is the quality of the restoration yeah because I, you know, if, if if people are listening to Fusion Patrol decades in the future, maybe some miracle restoration will have occurred. But I I just remember being absolute, and I I think I probably rhapsodized it for half the podcast discussion we had about the pit. Just how amazingly good quality the images for that serial are. Looking at it, you know, now sixty whatever years on, mm-hmm. whereas the 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 quality of this serial is much more like you would expect for something from 1955 that was basically it it was I, I think I read somewhere that it was the first serial that was actually repeated as in normally at the time they would simply have a, a repeat would have meant a reperformance they'd have yeah. just done it again live and uh, so it very much was still of the era when they weren't expecting to to keep it and it it's 
a, a lot of it is you know there's heavy vignetting and it's well, it's all quite soft yeah and it just it shows its age I, I, I could forgive that but I do think part of part of what we part of what makes it so well first off part of it is the fact that they're out in an actual field driving around in a car and you know that's not a studio right I mean you just you look yeah, at yeah. It, well that's not a studio but there is a very clear delineation between those inserts that were shot on film and and that which is done presumably live to tape yes and I think part of what we're seeing you know, part of why it's glaring is because there's such a difference in the quality part of the reason it's such a quality is that's such an early technology at this point that i think what they're doing is they're playing film into a tv camera and then they're recording the tv camera as they did yes so we got a yes. two generation down on the film and so there is a very big jump you've got there's definitely vignetting there um that's more prevalent on the film uh but not Exclusively, Although it, vary, so it varies. So some of the, some of the, some of the film is not is not at all bad. And and the thing that surprised me about it because you expect to see film inserts for exterior shots, but you expect them to be like you. I was quite surprised how much there was, but not nearly as surprised as when they actually started having dialogue scenes outside. Yeah, and so oh, it's it's like not you know not only are they playing in these film inserts, but they've actually they, they they've actually got audio recordings for yeah yes it is impressive I, I really did i i'm with you i expected when you see the jeep driving across the fields i expect oh that's time for them to run to their new set while they're playing yes the bar running they get to the new set and they you know wipe their hair down get the sweat off their face and like go i'm in front of an unrealistic tree <laughs> but it wasn't <laughs> they would show up in a field with a farmer and you go well wow it must have needed a really long transition and they start talking you go what <laughs> like, really why didn't they do this in Quatermass in the pit why well, a few years later did they basically completely abandon that my, so my seems my, like my a technological opinion. advancement i agree it is a te- it is it is a technological advancement and it's almost like what we get in Quatermass 2 is a story that is intended to take advantage of that technological advancement because you get all of the stuff that's shot in the refinery which i have to say looks really great and there's there's an awful lot of kind of traveling around you know um mm-hmm. quatermass goes off to the facility and then you've got the scenes with the villagers and the rioting and there's you know back and back and forth and you've got characters in london and then eventually uh, i guess we'll come to uh, leaving the Earth and going into space, um, which Eventually, wasn't on location, just to be clear. Um, the thing that struck me most about that was that I felt that the weakness of this story was that it didn't have that kind, that same kind of claustrophobic sense of urgency that ultimately Quatermass and the Pit managed to build up. And in, in Quatermass and the Pit, the the exterior shots, the film inserts, are much more about creating the atmosphere in establishing shots before you go into the kind of studio shot stuff, and they're almost seamless in it. They're they're very be, be, because I think you're no longer talking at that point about be, be, not because it's that much later, but just because it's that much less ambitious about pushing the limits of the technology, but the. That 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 kind of limitation that really serves the story, 
Whereas this story, I'm not sure I agree that the, the structure is as good that one episode just kind of leave, leads into another because it doesn't feel like after the first couple of episodes there is a kind of progression. It it feels like some of the strands of the story are almost completely... I mean, to take to take one example, what happens to Fowler? Obviously taken over. And then what? I think I, I kind of... I kind of... Um hedged my statement there in the in the recap where I said he plays no further part in the story. I think he's one of the people that was on the phone. Okay. Trying at the end trying to call. I mean, once you're okay. taken over, you're off the table. And I and I in a way I kind of um so we can compare and contrast Fowler and Dylan here. Um mm. you're 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 compromised by the aliens and then you're gone. We it's a it's almost a you could start it as being a sort of analog for dead. Your ally is dead. And then they held that back till very, very towards the end where suddenly Dylan shows up again and he's full on working for the, for the aliens. Yes. Yes. Which makes that, um, and, and from, from, you know, decades of watching these kinds of shows, of course I was expecting him far earlier in the store, I was expecting more people to be taken over and then suddenly working against Quatermass, but it, but they don't. They take them off the table and they're gone, just like Conrad. He's fought long enough, but after that, that's the end of it. And when we start hearing from the newspaper, turns out the newspaper's taken over too. So it um and and to to your other point about Quatermass and the Pit being more claustrophobic and the production fits that, I agree that that is that is a tight drama that takes place in the pit. And so that is not an issue. By being able to get out and be anywhere in a country field or in London or whatever, you get more of a feel of just how pervasive this invasion is. There is there is no safe, but you can't leave the pit and go be safe, which in the earlier episodes of Quatermass in the Pit, you can. Yes, you but I also... Pit, but I, here it's... I, you know, it's but, just a, it's but a I, different I think, story. I think that's one of the things about Quatermass in the Pit is the point at which it... The point at which it actually kind of goes global, as it were, is right at the end. Mm-hmm. So it feels like it it kind of it builds up quite slowly, but then it get it starts to get really serious at the end. Quatermass two stuff is by the end of episode four, going into mm-hmm. episode five, stuff is already pretty much globally catastrophic, I and think it, it was... feels like. So, isn't that the point? I mean, I, actually, things are actually well, it, it globally is, catastrophic it, it like by the time episode one started, and nobody knew it. Nobody knew it. Yeah. Well, uh, yeah. I mean, it it it's an it it's a coherent story in that sense, but in terms of the structure, where does that leave you to go? By the time you get into episode five and episode six, well, six takes you off into space. That didn't feel like that. That again, it felt like a diversion. It didn't feel like a natural climax to the story that we had been exploring, I'll, which was very much about the, the terrestrial threat on Earth. I'll concede that I did not expect them to go into space. I, I never expected them to them personally to leave the Earth. I expected the, the Quatermass 2 to be used as a missile. Yes. And so when they went in, when they were getting ready to go into space, my expectations changed in my head to be, huh? something's going to stop them from going into space <laughs> because they're not going into space. Quatermass is not going into space. That's that's not going to happen. Well, obviously, we know Quatermass survives, and right. it, well, we, that wouldn't we, have been true of people viewing it at the time. But, 
Yeah, he could have died saving the earth. That that's reasonable. It felt to me like the story the the, the, the st- because Quatermass was the hero and you had to have this resolution of the Hugh Pew storyline. They had to be the ones that went off into the rock went off in the rocket, which felt contrived and it also felt like it separated you from where the real action was because I mean the pr- thing about these aliens is that they are they are obviously the kind of they, they, without without them being able to possess humans without them being able to take over humans there's nothing there's nothing much to them so mm-hmm. but you know you you isn't you, that you take it, quite right. well so you take Quatermass and, and Pew away from all of that and now you've got now you've got the Quatermass um, the sort of climax to the pew story but it doesn't feel like it it, that doesn't feel like the the sort of the the climax to the alien invasion story if that makes any sense i don't know i'm having trouble putting my finger on it but for some reason the structure doesn't quite feel satisfying to me Mm. it's probably just a really bad special effects in the final (laughs) sequence and it's probably put you off um I mean, I don't mind the special effects too much, but but again, what I would point out with Quatermass and the Pit is that although although the special effects are not very much advanced, what they do with what they've got is much more effective because it doesn't it, it's not asking that much more than what is possible. It's working within the, the limits, and yeah, maybe doing something that's that's more impressive than anyone has done before, but still. Hmm. Um. Well, I, I, I'm. I, I'm certainly not in any way dissing Quatermass 3. I just kind of felt I enjoyed this one uh, far better than I expected to, frankly. Because well, I, I wasn't, not that I I didn't, wasn't sure. Not that I didn't think I would like it. And I'm, I'm sure I must have seen Quatermass 2 or whatever it was called in the theaters in the United States. Not, I wouldn't have seen it in the theaters, of course, but on television. And yet I watched a trailer for that um, the other day. And uh, I don't recognize any of that either. I mean, just the the visuals. It's it's. I feel like I haven't seen it, and it's. But it's this storyline is so pervasive through so many things since then that it's really easy to get them confused in your head. They go, oh yeah, yes. I remember there was but, one. Yeah, you know, because... if you had different actors, but yeah, it was kind of the same idea. So it must have been the film, but maybe not because the the the. The trailer for Quatermass 2, the movie, looks remarkably like this serial, you know, from the scenes that we that I yeah, saw. Yeah. And, I, and I'm looking at that going, well, I know Nigel Neal hated it, but did he hate it because they ruined the story because they had better ideas? Or did he hate it what, because what did he, hate? he didn't get paid? I think he hated all the movies. He, oh, I see. But, he, but he, he, he did write the second one, so didn't he? For the screenplay? I didn't yeah. think he did. I thought somebody rewrote it. Afterwards, oh, right. I, uh, but it, I don't know. We could but he, he, st- he still it. did. A, he 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 wrote a draft for the film. Was my hmm. understanding. He didn't. It wasn't that they just took took what he'd done for TV and what? did did their thing with it, like they did with Great Mass and the Pit. It's been a while since I uh, read sorry. his biography, but Great I experiment. S- thought he disliked all of them. But I could be wrong, and I'm sure there's at least one listener out there, probably in New Zealand, <laughs> that's going to correct me. Uh, <laughs> I mean, even if he wrote it, he's entitled to dislike what they did with it. That's true. I don't think he liked the actors either. Um, so, right, I, I have I have a question about that, which is another another major thing 
I mean, so I, I mean, I, I had, I knew literally nothing about Quatermass too. That included the plot. It also in, included the fact that I had no idea who was going to be in it. So when you see, kind of get Hugh Griffiths, when you see or, Mark Gatiss's father, Mark Gatiss's father. No, I don't know. I don't think he is. But he lo- every time I saw him, I'm like, that looks like an old Mark Gatiss. Who? <laughs> Guy playing Quatermass. They're they're oh, of the Robinson. same. They're they're of the same facial structure here in this one in in Quatermass oh. in two. I, to me, that did that did that did not occur to me. What did occur to me was that I didn't like his Quatermass. So obviously, obviously, one of the things about the, these serials is they each have a different Quatermass, and I I I got. A, I mean, I think Andre Morel is the best Quatermass. Um, I I don't think that's a particularly original opinion for me to have. And obviously, he was he was the first one to be offered the part. Um, but John Robinson just seems a little bit that there's not a lot of sympathy for him he's he's convincingly he's convincingly smart and he gets quite passionate about his project or upset about its potential demise but what i don't what i don't get so much from him is uh any sense of warmth from his side of the the friendship with hugh pew um I don't get any kind of real sense of paternity uh, towards Paula. And I don't really get what makes him tick, to be honest. Where, I mean, other than the fact that we all would think if we knew what a kind of terrible fate was facing the earth, because that, you know, that's what he finds out, then we would do everything we can to stop it. But yeah, I'll, I'll agree with that. He is a bit neutral. Um yeah. That's that's. I mean, I get that he just nuked part of Australia, and I realize that where the Australian test grounds are, they actually have you know detonated nukes, and so it's not that big of a deal. But <laughs> there's nobody actually living well, except, there except probably Aboriginals. Well, no, he's ki- bothered to clear, and but but all the know, pe- all the people working on it. Yeah, yeah. I mean, he he he's yes, he's devastated by all that. Yes, maybe being British, he demonstrates his uh, absolute. Um, sorrow by saying nothing and expressing nothing and keep stiff, a, up, stiff a up a lip but it does mean that you don't get any i guess yeah i mean i guess you just don't get a read on on how he's on how he's reacting to things about what what he thinks for example about what has happened to dylan i mean he's he's hmm. he goes and, and remonstrates he says you know my my friend has been taken there i want to but it's not it's not just that that you're thinking about because clearly what he's done is take the man who his daughter loves and inadvertently it's true but lead him into a a terribly dangerous situation and now he's now he's kind of disappeared and right up to where he kind of where he breaks it to her it's just you don't get what's going on in his head it I, 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 I don't know I don't know but I I was not I was not overwhelmed by John Robinson's performance. Let's let's put it that okay. way. Okay, I, I will I will agree. He wouldn't be my first choice, but then you know how that goes. Quatermass in the pit. That's my first Quatermass, and so you know it's, that's always your favorite. But yeah, uh, so a couple of things I'm going to just say before anybody also tries to correct me on this one. I pulled up some pictures while you were talking, and I was listening uh, of uh, stills, and I got to say, in a still, this guy does not trigger my Mark Edis reaction. I look at that and I go, huh, don't see it. But when it's live and watching it on the show, it does. 
I was watching that thinking, wow, what a horrible mistake they made when they redid the Quatermass experiment. And they used Gaddis as the opposing scientist instead of using him as Quatermass. Maybe it's the way they move their face. I don't know. But something in the motion triggers that in me, and I, I see it all the time. Looking at these pictures? No. Second, movie, yes. Screenplay and tele, uh, story by Nigel Neal, uh, according to... Although, Val Guest is also given screenplay credit, and that, I think, was one of those contentious things. So maybe it was Quatermass 2 and Val Guest's rewrites that he didn't like. I don't, I don't remember, but uh, yeah. Yeah, I, I'll agree. The other Quatermass is definitely better. It, there's no doubt about that. In, in, so then there's... I mean, I I liked I liked the some of the guest cut. I mean, Hugh Griffiths, fantastic. Wilfred Bramble pops up uh, in one episode. Roger Delgado pops up in one episode. It's quite yeah, kind of star-studded. without his Van Dyke. Uh, you know, it's just it's just not it's just not Roger Delgado without. I, that's the first time I've ever seen him without that in anything. Yes, but yes, yes, think think that yes. Well, Maybe it's the only thing. I've definitely seen him in other non-Doctor Who stuff where he had it, so I assume that is yes, how likewise. he normally groomed himself. Um, but I've never, I've never seen, I've never seen anything this early. I've never seen yes. any Roger Delgado stuff from this early on. So that was, um, that was yeah, it was, I really didn't have any problems with the cast, um, except well, Peter I would Manson. say he's okay, but quick, quick, quick. Well, I kind of felt like Monica Gray was there to make Quatermass look animated. I, oh, his I daughter? thought she was... Yeah. Uh, yeah. Paula, Paula Quatermass, Paula played by Monica Gray, who I, I looked up and it turns out that she wasn't actually the production team's choice. She was the wife of the head of radio drama. <laughs> uh, and and um, one of... There's, there's one reviewer who rather cruelly but rather entertainingly describes her as not so much an actress as a finishing school on legs and it oh oh it is kind of quite accurate apparently yeah. though she she had to learn all of Hugh Griffith's lines in case he uh he Forgot didn't them. manage to mm. yes yes um and I I, I Hugh my favorite Hugh Griffith's performance is as um this drunken character in the Titfield Thunderbolt and he I mean he is just wonderful in it it must it must be more or less contemporaneous with this and I've never really seen him interviewed so I don't know what the actor himself is like but the the the, the description of him as as someone who's you know struggles with the technical dialogue struggles with remembering his lines whatever sounds like the character he plays in the Titfield Thunderbolt so I'm now imagining him as being exactly like that uh, it, I, it, yeah, I, I, he came off pretty well, but I will say that when he got up and he started, and I mentioned it again in the recap, when he got up and he started rambling on about his childhood and being a mathematical genius and being able to perform, the, the, the plot device, plot warning, flags and alarms were just going off in my head at that point. Like, yes. okay, yes. that's, that's, he's going to die saving the world. I thought he didn't. Turns out, but uh, which again, kudos to Nigel Neal. He can lead me down a path where I can spot the obvious hell that this character's pivotal, but I didn't spot how the character would pivot. Because all the time, uh, um, uh, 
Okay, think of think of all the this this is very this is fascinating. I this is what I really really appreciated about this story. Okay, uh, I'll have to put a whole bunch of pieces together. Quatermass appeared like a complete idiot, not realizing that Conrad had been taken over. The journalist, mm-hmm. right? When that happened, everyone is screaming at the TV. He's been taken over. Look at the way he's driving. Look at the way he's acting. He's been taken over, you big dummy. I mean, for crying out loud, he reached out at, and in the meteors it came down. He was in its immediate proximity. You should know this. But Quatermass doesn't appear to know that. So when we're on the ship and, or when he bumps into Leo, Leo has been given a plausible, at the factory he's been given a plausible explanation as to why he's not right he's just been dumped over by poison gas so Hmm. you're in the audience and you're going he looks like he's taken over but he was just dumped over by poison gas and we already kind of know he's gonna die in this story because which transmits the well but i don't know does the poison gas transmit the humming the aminids i don't know i didn't think that i thought that was just the atmosphere that they lived in escaping so I, I didn't I didn't take that from it. Well, but okay, watching okay but it's, the Ammonids were living in it. Yes, so and, they're possible that one of could have gotten if, if if they yeah, if they're exposed to the oxygen they die. But obviously you've got to think if if they are if they're freed and there are clouds for of, people. Of, of this poison yeah. gas they, they, they are going to survive up until the point where the gas disperses and, and the oxygen overwhelms them. But I guess my, my point being at that point in time, A, Quatermass still didn't know Conrad had been taken over. Yeah. Well, actually, yes, he did, because the, the people from the pub told him. But Quatermass had been an idiot about that. He's plausibly being an idiot again about it, because we already saw that he couldn't figure it out. Now he's watching it. We, he might not be figuring it out. We do have an excuse why Leo might be behaving that way. So is the audience kind of maybe on the defense you know i think he's probably taken over but at the same time surely he's going to be the hero because he was destined for greatness by his math teachers and and then you also have (laughs) you have the thing where we saw that conrad wasn't overwhelmed immediately that conrad had the ability to fight it and carry on and that's you know when you're on the ship and quatermass is still looking like he's an idiot and not knowing that leo's taken over despite the fact that Leo brought the gun on board. And all of these pieces are in play. Does Quatermass know or not? Does Leo, is he really taken over or not? If he is taken over, is he fighting it and still fighting to save the Earth? And he's, you know, it's just a matter of time before he succumbs to it. And then Quatermass reveals that he was smart enough to figure out that Leo was probably taken over. And all of those pieces, it's like, I, I just feel like Neil has set those up on the board really really well that you just can't be 100 percent certain of what's going on there which is is great because i hate knowing exactly well, it, where it, everything it, is it, it, it well it, yes it i mean obviously the uncertainty is important to it and it has to be sustained over quite a long period because you've got an entire episode from him being exposed to the gas to the the kind of ultimate uh his demise so you you've got to be kept guessing by it the thing that irritates me is when there is this this kind of extreme dramatic irony like as you say everyone is shouting at the television except that i i I thought the way that delgado played that and and the way that neil had written it was pretty good because 
he gets to you know he gets to explain himself and it fits with it fits with his performance when mm-hmm. pew is under the influence like you say it feels like we should it feels like quatermass there's a little bit more experience there you know fool me once mm-hmm. shame on you that kind of thing to again neil's credit you have the sequence where the doctor examines him and they actually discuss the possibility that he's been taken over and i quite like that because obviously they are expressing what the audience is thinking you're also establishing the fact that you don't know or you don't have a way they don't have a way quatermass doesn't have a way of knowing for sure because they haven't you know they obviously haven't had the time or any opportunity to develop some kind of test of some sort I I mean I don't know what it would be whether it would be a kind of medical test or whether it would be some kind of um, exercise that you could perform to 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 prove that you're still well but it but you know how quickly does the does the mark appear is it is is it the same for everybody you know that you you don't have that kind of that it'd be the first thing I do to base any kind of conclusions I'm I mean, not sure it would be the first thing you'd do. I, I, I think what you would probably do would be, first of all, assume the worst, and then you would start working on the test. So you would, in, in, in a circumstance like this, you would say, there is no way we can, we can be sure that he hasn't been infected, so we must assume he has been. Oh, I, I, well, in terms of, of how you play it, sure, you probably should go, you should work on the assumption that, that the that the person in your midst might be a spy if there's been an opportunity of them being compromised. I I, I don't disagree with that. But, you know, but when they the only thing that, that we know, the only thing we know that you can spot about them is, A, that they behave a little weirdly, and B, that they end up with a mark, which I will point out in the case of Broadhead showed up very quickly, within an hour yes, or so. Yes, but we don't know that it... We don't, we don't know that it happens to everyone, but we do know yeah. this, that the only thing we know about them that you can tell is if they have the mark, they have been taken over. So it would make sense yes. that if you suspected someone, you said, I suspect you, take your clothes off, we're going to do a body search. And if they say yes. no, or or they submit to it and you can cannot find the mark, doesn't prove that they aren't. If you do find the mark, it does prove that they were. So it's better than just going, we, well, I don't know it, a conclusive it is, test, so no, why bother trying? I mean... Well, it would it would be better, although it would have limited value if what you actually need is conclusive proof that they are uninfected because right. you find the mark or you don't find the mark. Um, neither of those is going to prove they're uninfected. So Correct. you're not any further on. The thing that the thing that the other thing that the complaint I have, if you like, is although we have the, although we have this sequence with Conrad where he actually describes how he got infected and you know how foolish it was and then talks about having fought it and he's you know he's struggling to get his story through what what that makes me think is if you are infected you know you are infected and in some cases you can struggle against it and if you put those things together why wouldn't someone like pew if he knows he's infected but has any any kind of vestiges of of his true personality still there wouldn't the thing that he would say would be i think i'm infected quite possibly 
Quite possibly. Why didn't Conrad do that? I don't I don't know. I mean, even in Conrad's case, although you can come up with plausible excuses because he is that there isn't that same bond of trust between him and, and Quatermass, the way he the way that he behaves immediately after being infected which is the is the kind of the glassy-eyed performance or whatever which in dramatic terms is there to show the audience that he's infected but in in story terms you kind of think well why is he like that then and yet later on when you would expect the infection to have taken hold he's massively more animated and he's actually yeah he, he he's fighting it much more vigorously and I, I don't quite understand, you know, there could be an explanation for it, but we're never given it. It could be part of the reason why they took Dylan off and um, and he was out of the story for a while. I mean, not just for the dramatic purpose of it, but in other words, there may be a period of time where you're just not stable with the creature in you. You know, there's a shell shock but, period but, and then but, there's something else, but we don't get that. So I, I but, concur but, but, that there's nothing if, in the if, story. If, if, if that were the case, if they would, if if the if the security guards or whoever would t- would take someone like Dylan off because you're so unstable that you it it would be obvious that you were infected. Well, then surely it would be obvious to everyone around Conrad that he was infected. You know, Quatermass is with him at that time, and mm-hmm. likewise with Pew. Wouldn't that be obvious too? Quatermass spends an entire car journey with him, and then he goes through a medical examination all during that kind of post-infection period. So. It, it it feels like it, it it feels like there is a a dramatic convenience to the way in which the kind of initially infected before person is performed, and there is also a a kind of storyline convenience to having people and it, and it's really just those two, but having but having people being able to to kind of have that struggle between the the true selves and the infected self, but it it's not. It's never, it's never kind of married up. It's the, 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 the justification for the, for the dramatic needs of the story, it never fully explained. Mm. All right, uh, and you, you know, one thing you touched on, I just want to say, I loved the flight surgeon telling them both that he wouldn't let them fly. I, I, I it's just yeah. such a weird, such a weird piece of drama that they added in there. Drama is not the right word, but scene that they added in that was completely and utterly unnecessary to the story unless it was there to have the doctor fob the audience off by asking reminding you that he'd inhaled poisonous gas uh, earlier and was checking them out and that a doctor can't tell that there's anything uh, wrong with uh, Pew in that case but I, I just I I was just amused by the fact that it's like, oh yeah, flight surgeons, that's actually a real thing. They're not going to send an old man like that into space. It's just not going to happen in the real world, even especially back then. But, um, you know, they might do it for a science experiment now. But, uh, yeah, so I, I love that. Um, let's see. I, of course, we've already talked about the fact that this spawns so many tropes. The secret alien invasion, the top-level government infiltration, the, the mind control, the robomen kind of stuff i mean it just it what 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 i i mean yes okay it, it did turn out to be a a secret uh, invasion taking over parts of government but what i quite liked early on um sort of round about the episode two mark episode two the mark um was this conflict that was going on within within whitehall in in effect that that quatermass was 
investigating this mystery that appeared to be an extraterrestrial mystery, leading him to a top-secret military establishment that then turned out to be a project run within his own ministry. And I thought, wow, this is all quite, you know, this is, this is, a, this is a British X-Files some almost 40 years before the X-Files. Yeah, yeah, it, it, it was. I, and I'm sure there's been other government, government takeover, maybe, maybe not, of kinds of things. But it, it is. Neil is good. And he was good. Uh, you <laughs> yeah. Know, he, he, he was good. I, I, I do love the way that old British TV shows um, and movies do this. And I've seen it. They used to do it in Sherlock Holmes all the time, too. So it's not just that. It's in the stories. I'm sure you recognize the signature when they were talking about whoever had sent the orders over to mm-hmm. when Dylan came along. It's like, so who was it? Was that the Queen or was that Winston Churchill? I mean, I, who, I, who would be the, I, who would I, be the top I, in orders like that? Prime Minister. Okay, so it's, it's well, Churchill. Churchill, I think. I don't remember when Churchill, Churchill was in out 55? in 55. That's when he ended, yeah. but I don't know when, in 50, April of 55. And when was this... That's a darn good question. Broadcast. I think it's late in the year. So it would be Clement Attlee. Attlee would be the next one. Splendid. So, but yes, yeah. You're right. I, it's, it's October, November. Yeah. No, but I, I, I always love it when they do that. I can remember those from, look at it, and it's like, we're not going to tell the name. I'm sure there's something to do with some sort of legal issue there, but I don't know what it is. I don't um, think it is a legal issue. Really? I, I, I've always had I, this I, feeling I, I, like I, that they intentionally have left you don't put any kind of contemporary famous name in that you just like we're not we're gonna we're gonna gloss over that because it's well so... I think it, it, it the uh, the only issue is that it, it's a it's a kind of separation of politics from entertainment could be and I'm not that sure it's entirely BBC. legal I think there's a there's a kind of there is a cultural thing this is before Beyond the Fringe and that was the week that was and all of the kind of satire boom of the sixties so there is a kind of extreme deference towards that stuff and obviously there are and as there still are duties on the bbc in terms of impartiality so but i've seen I, it in other think... non-bbc things too like i say in, in the actual sherlock holmes stories i, I i'm sure that there's at least one or two instances yes. where they the must be client? referring uh, yeah i think that's that's one i think there's another i think there's another instance where they kind of go and and you're left in doubt as to who it was, but it's obviously someone way up in the government, way 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 up. <laughs> so yeah, it, it just it it feels contrived, and it's you know because they don't even say you know orders from the PM. They say here are my orders. Do you recognize that signature? Yes, I do. I think it's genuine. Uh huh. <laughs> I'm not going to say it's the PM. <laughs> they don't have to name the person. I mean, it's a fictional universe, and yet they don't name. It's true, don't. and nothing I've nothing I've said would stop you saying it's the prime minister. Yeah, uh, I guess you could. You, but then there's that. It's the contemporary prime minister, so you are naming them possibly. I don't know. Um, yeah, that. No, yeah, yeah, that's a fair point. Um, so episode four has a warning on it. Yes, you shouldn't children, watch children. Children and, and those of you who may have a nervous disposition. And yet, I don't know whether that's because that's all that got survived, or did all the episodes have that warning, or just episode four? And there are two questions to that. One, what was it in episode four 
that was no so idea. bad because I was watching for it. I go, ooh, there must be something in this one. Is that the one where the family was killed? No, that was in episode three. Hey, so I, you mean I'm the pic, the, pic, the picnickers, picnickers where yeah where Quatermass Quatermass says something like that accounts for the gunfire. Yeah, which was one of one of those things where I was thinking, hmm, yeah, I don't like this Quatermass very much. <laughs> um, kind of cold. It was a bit cold. Um, but yeah, so I, I, thought, I thought that was much more disturbing than anything I remember seeing in episode four. What I suspect the reason may be is that they may have had complaints. And I don't know this. Oh, I, that's you know, possible. I have, I've, I've, I've not read anything about it, but it would not surprise me if making that announcement was more reactive than anticipatory. Okay, that they that's had, fair. That they had had the equivalent of the Mary White House of the day on the blower saying, um, you know, how dare you broadcast this stuff. Now, what I what I really dislike about that, though, is, but now that you explain it as a possible reactive, that does make sense, and I can concur with that, I would be very, very angry if I'd been a kid watching the first three episodes of that, and episode four came on, <laughs> and that warning came up, my parents said, nope, to bed, and I didn't get to watch it because of that. Yeah. That, w- that would be... Or, or you Go know, someone stick oh, pins Martha, in an effigy in Mary Whitehouse. Faint uh, disposition. I'd better leave and and never see what happened. That. Ugh. But okay. I must, I must say, I, I, I did, I liked the fact, uh, like, like you say, it's not, it's not entirely clear whether there may have been some other warnings on other episodes, like during the, the um, pre-announcement, the so the continuity announcer. But it's the trappings of what you know, the furniture around. A TV serial because we've kind of mentioned just how influential and therefore essentially timeless Nigel Neal's work itself actually is and we still have the six-part serial and the half-hour drama in some format but there are bits of it that look very very different and it's and it's the the phrasing of of that you know that children and those of you with a nervous disposition and the other one I picked up on which I really really liked was that in the credits of episode two, where he goes off to um, prefab town, mm. the the um, the mother in in the prefab is played by Hilda Fenmore, but when it comes up on the credits, it says not as advertised because it's substituted. It's an, it's an era. Well, when first of all they they they. Um, because they're doing it live, if someone is indis- indisposed, uh, you know, as, as happened in the, the Mind Robber, for example, if someone is indisposed, then you have to get someone else because yeah. you can't wait for them to be well again. But in the meantime, obviously, Radio Times has gone to print with the cast list in it because it's not like it was in the can weeks before uh, Radio Times went to press. Radio Times went to press based on who they were rehearsing with and who they intended would be playing the part on the night. And uh, so, it, you know, it's something you would never get anymore. But in and, and I, I don't even think they would care about if they if they did have something alive now and they'd said it would be played by someone and then it was played by someone else. They wouldn't care about the Radio Times readers who were pouring over the magazine. Going, Hang on a minute. And then so, looking at the, the credits and going, that's not the same. But, you know... That was that mattered then, and I loved that. In in uh, the soap opera, U.S. soap opera, sixties, Dark Shadows, yeah, which was shot, you know, I think almost live to tape, very similar to this, uh, one a day kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, 
there were a few episodes where a regular character, first thing you'd hear as the credits open up would be, the part of Victoria Winters will be played by Jane Smith today. And it would be a completely different <laughs> actress. You know, she was there yesterday and she's there the day after and you know, whatever yeah. happened, she wasn't there. And then just the understudy or somebody came in and read the lines. And so they just told you Because you don't do it. Yeah. yeah. I, you know, but usually those are fairly major recurring characters that here, you're it's invested a in here. It's only in the episode. Yeah, I'm, I'm impressed at how well, I mean, obviously the British acting system is so good because that woman came in and she did that part and I never for a second... You know, would have thought she was a last-minute substitution, like having to do her lines. It's, it's the, the professionalism is It's not amazing. like, it, it, well, it's not like she had a huge number of lines to learn. But what I, what I like is, what I like is the Wait, the wait, 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 wait. About... You're British and you missed the sarcasm in that comment. No, sorry, go ahead. Go ahead. <laughs> it, it, it's the people, it's the people. I've no idea who was actually, because the credits don't tell you who was slated to play the role. I'd have, I'd have to dig out the radio times edition for october than whatever 1955 but the people who had tuned in to her family whoever it was played the role of mother for one episode that was the apology for them yeah it's her family <laughs> like oh look she's gonna be on a telly and then they are all sitting around and then it's like it wasn't her <laughs> it's like probably writing nasty letters yeah <laughs> um let's see so the uh one of the things i want to point out is that you know the spearhead from space connection is is obvious the the fact that john pertwee's now we've seen two separate quatermass stories we've seen the one that you could arguably say may have had something to do with the daemons we've seen the one that obviously is spearhead from space and other things um that john pertwee's era was supposed to be basically quatermass heard that before that that's oh. the vibe they were going for when they moved it to the Earth-based thing, um, that they were that they were trying to capitalize on that and kind of make it a, a, a Quatermass-like version of Doctor Who. Mm -hmm. I can see that. <laughs> As you say, this is like a proto-unit story. I mean, I can totally yes, see yes. this. It, it it it's you watch these two things, and now you I'll, I'll never look at the Perchby era uh, again without seeing that sort of when they went into it at the start, this is clearly what they were working on. Government conspiracies, alien invasions coming in, uh, uh, you know, having the military, being at loggerheads with the military at times. Um, mm -hmm. You know, it, it has, it's got that, it's got that vibe. Obviously, as Pertwee's era evolved on, they started to move away from that and back to the more original format. But um, even in trivia bit i don't know if you knew this one but for the audience and again i'm sure there's someone who'll correct me but i i know parts of this for back invisible enemy which of course has you know a, a an alien taking over the minds of people and it's not exactly the same by any stretch of magic in invisible enemy the doctor uh looks in some tanks where they're growing the virus mm -hmm. they're bubbling and frothing that is either test footage or was part of a failed production to restage Quatermass 2. And it's very obvious if you look at it. I mean, it, it's, it, it's, yeah, it doesn't quite have the writhing, leafy spinach look, but it, yeah, it, it's, it, it's gotta be. Um, it's interesting that someone was doing that at the BBC. I, I you know, if they were going to redo them, why didn't they redo it? Uh, why wouldn't they redo the first one I, instead? Yeah, I, yes, I, which is much I, better. Um, 
Let's see. Do I have anything else? Oh, I did look it up. Yes, there was a proposed, uh, there was a color version of Quatermass 2. Uh, I'm reading this off a website. Oh, it's the BBC. Okay. It's the BBC's website that says, and this is the whole quote, the model shots of the vats of the spawning virus on Titan in the final episode were not actually created specifically for the invisible enemy. They had, in fact, been made for a proposed new color version of the classic sci-fi thriller, The Quatermass Experiment. Uh-huh. However, the project was abandoned and the footage was put to use in this story instead. Except, of course, obviously it wouldn't be the Quatermass experiment because there were no vats of bubbling alien domes. So but I could that's understand an interesting them doing question, the Quatermass experiment. I would have thought they would do Quatermass in the pit, actually, to be honest. I, I, didn't I would have thought they'd Quatermass have done all was three. Particularly well received. I would have done all three if I were the BBC. Because well, you didn't have good copies. You, not if you, you had a BBC have... budget. Well, yeah. Well, they've done it before. They could do it again. Just on a on a Doctor Who budget. I mean, that's they're doing Doctor Who. They they should have been. They were doing maybe Blake Seven by then. They should have been able to do. Uh, uh, maybe even the tripods. Now it's probably a little bit later on. Let's see. Do I have anything else? I do want to say that it is one of the best deaths ever for Leo. Not because he just gets rocketed out into space by the recoil, which, you know, fair enough. I've seen that in other stories, too, after this. Um, it was it was the Definitely how effective it was with his voice continuing to oh, yeah. echo in, in Quatermass's helmet. And he couldn't shut it off. You just have to listen to it coming in the radio as this guy goes on and on and on. Um, I kind of thought it was interesting that they didn't get any dialogue from him after he had been freed of the influence but yeah i i i thought that was just 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 keep just keep shouting over the dialogue ignore everything that everyone else is talking you just keep calling for help and uh because you're dying and there's nothing you can do um i i thought it was very good thought it was very good yeah um do we have anything to say about the time on the asteroid the time their time what they did on the asteroid anything that happened out there any comments on it no, yeah, kind of. I just it, the whole thing was, uh, yeah. I, I think one of my probably my biggest complaint about the rocket sequences was, I thought, and maybe maybe I missed it. I thought that the flaw with the rocket was in takeoff, and so the yes, the fact that they were going to launch this rocket in England just meant it was going to nuke in England, and not but, necessarily because did they could could they take off without firing up the nuclear. It wasn't. It wasn't in takeoff. It was with the turning nuclear on the nuclear motor, rockets. Maybe. Which I wasn't sure. I wasn't clear. And maybe, maybe it's because I missed something. But I wasn't clear that they needed to do that in order to take off. Okay, but that, they that were was doing part of the on the launch pad for some reason. Part of the confusion test. is that they didn't really explain that, and then they had to do something about venting the fuel so that they could cause it to explode. And if they'd done that in Australia, you're like, why were they renting the fuel before they're going to take off? I don't understand. All those things didn't quite... That that was a little bit... Uh, this is awfully convenient that the thing that accidentally is a bomb, you can now intentionally make a bomb only when you want it to go off. That part I will grant was not particularly good. And also the well, fact may, that, maybe, maybe that it, it had a nose cone that could return one. home. The, you know, oh, there, yeah. there was no indication that these guys were ever coming back. We're, we're going up there and we're going to detonate this thing and we're going to die. Yes, but that but that was that was because it was going to detonate, not because they didn't think the rocket was capable of coming back. Um, yeah, but I thought that they they were 
I thought that the rocket was the rocket, not that there was a, a second escape stage at the front of the rocket, because there was no mention of that. It was kind of like, well, it's a one-way trip. And they know it's a one-way trip. They're going up there. They're going to get the asteroid. They're going to detonate the rocket. They're going to die. And they're going to save the world doing it. That's the idea. Yes. I never I never got the whole, okay, we're sitting there. We're setting it dead. Okay, let's go get back to the escape capsule. It's like, what? What escape capsule? And then, I mean, one again, one of the reasons why I didn't think Quatermass was going to go into space at all was that... That seemed like an absolute guaranteed suicide mission, and I already knew he was alive for Quatermass 3. Yes. So, yeah, that that part was a little, perhaps a little. I, I do want to watch the movie now. I do want to watch the movie now and see the the liberties that were taken with it. But, uh, uh, and, and who knows, maybe it's good. I think it did good box office, so. Have you got anything else on Quatermass 2? Nope. Simon, thank you for joining me. It's a pleasure, as always. And listeners, I do hope you'll join us all again next time on Fusion Patrol. You've been listening to Fusion Patrol, a listener-supported podcast. Find out how you can be a sponsor and get early access to all episodes and more at patreon.com slash fusion patrol. Come join the conversation on Facebook or Twitter. All episodes are available at FusionPatrol.com. Our music is Fight the Future by Amber Wolf. This has been a Lone Locust production. Ooh, the tripods! Just had an idea for a possible later, later series for us to do.